You're listening to The Ortho Podcast, the only podcast made by orthopods for orthopods, bringing you weekly updates from the leading journals of orthopedics to your earbuds in 20 minutes or less. Hey there, this is Dr. Tim Wang coming at you fresh in 2015. And man, what a first few weeks it's been. Not only did we just see the Ohio State Buckeyes stomp over the Oregon Ducks in the first ever college football playoff game, but we've also got quite a treat for you with our latest episode. Or actually, two treats. First off, we have our first ever interview segment today. And this week, it's with Dr. Julius Bishop, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Traumatology at Stanford University Medical Center. Let us know how you like this format and what other topics you'd like to see in our future. And for our regular listeners out there, you may have noticed that the audio is clearer today. And that's because we just upgraded to a brand spanking new cardioid microphone with built-in condenser. Now hopefully, that turns us from a ragtag closet-based podcast to a uh, ragtag closet-based podcast with a new microphone. (laughs) Alright, now... Enough messing around, let's get down to business. This week's segment is a review and update in the management of mid-shaft clavicle fractures with literature from the Yellow Journal, JOT, JBJS British, and CORE with full links available on our website. Now, you may have noticed an increasing trend towards operative fixation for displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures. And you may be saying to yourself, Well, when I was trained, we always treated clavicle fractures without surgery, and they always did fine. Well, listen up, because now it's 2015, and we've learned quite a few things over the years. But you're right. Historically, most acute diaphyseal clavicle fractures were treated with a sling or figure of eight breaks with predictable union rates and good clinical outcomes. But let's start at the beginning. Studies have shown that clavicle fractures are some of the most common injuries seen in general orthopedic practice, accounting for 5% of all adult fractures and 44% of shoulder girdle fractures. Fractures of the middle third are the most common and comprise about three quarters of all clavicle fractures. The S-shaped bone allows it to articulate with a sternum medially and a chromion laterally. As we are all very aware of, the large subclavian nerve acid bundle lies underneath the clavicle and it's covered by the platysma muscle and sensory branches of the supraclavicular nerve. Biomechanically, the capsule acts as a strut that secures a shoulder girdle to the axial skeleton. Thus, restoring clavicle length is important to obtaining normal shoulder function after injury. Standard radiographs to evaluate the clavicle include an AP view and a 45-degree cephalad tilt. Upright radiographs, where the patient's sitting or standing for evaluation of clavicle fractures, have recently been advocated as they may better demonstrate clavicle fracture displacement and therefore affect physician decision-making. Options for management of clavicular fractures include anywhere from non-operative treatment open reduction with plate fixation, or intramedullary devices. Now, it's important to point out that no advantage has been shown in the data for figure of eight brace over a sling. 
Charles Neer's original review of over 2,000 patients with mid-shaft clavicle fractures treated non-operatively, which was published in 1960, reported a non-union rate of 0.13%, extremely low. Studies of patients who were treated with surgery in that era actually came out with higher non-union rates at 4%, and because of this, non-operative treatment was recommended as the preferred choice for treatment. However, it's important to note that at that time, methods of operative treatment were often less stable than modern techniques and included biologically unfriendly techniques such as cerclage wiring. Okay, now flash forward. Modern studies have challenged the dogma for non-operative treatments of clavicle fractures and have shown that increased fracture displacement is associated with worse patient satisfaction. A recent prospective study has documented a non-union rate of 5% when looking at mid-shaft clavicle fractures in aggregate. However, when focusing only on those with displaced clavicle fractures, the non-union rate jumps to 15 or 20% or three times the regular rate. Displacement greater than 100%, shortening greater than 2 centimeters, smoking, and significant comminution have been implicated as risk factors for non-union which ultimately leads to lower shoulder strength and decreased patient satisfaction scores, with one-third of patients unhappy with their results. Zlowanski et al. performed a systematic review of over 2,000 displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures and demonstrated non-union rates of those treated with plate fixation was 2%, as compared to 15% if they were treated non-operatively. Benefits of surgical management included decreased non-union rate, but with possible complications of infection, hardware irritation, and neurovascular injuries. Biomechanical studies have demonstrated that one-third semitubular plates are not strong enough for use on the clavicle and are currently not recommended. Rigid plate fixation using modern anatomic contour, low-profile plates allow control of length and alignment for early weight-bearing. A Cochrane review published in CORE in 2014 looked at eight randomized trials, which included a total of 555 patients and compared surgical versus non-operative management for displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures. The outcomes they looked at included the constant and DASH scores, which are patient-centered functional outcomes for upper extremity function. As a whole, the authors found similar functional outcomes between the two groups, with no clinically significant differences. However, there was a lower risk of symptomatic non-union in those treated operatively, with a relative risk of 0.38. In this study, 8% of patients treated surgically elected for a removal of their hardware afterwards. In contrast, another meta-analysis performed by McKee and JBJS in 2012 looking at randomized trials found displaced clavicle fractures treated operatively had lower non-union rates, lower symptomatic malunion rates, and earlier return to activity in those treated operatively. However, they found limited difference in functional outcomes between the two groups. Now, the bottom line is that there's good evidence from multiple randomized trials which now show that surgical fixation of displaced mid-shaft clavicle fractures leads to lower non-union rates. However, when trying to make the next 
leap forward in showing improved clinical scores after sur surgical treatment or improved long-term functional scores and outcome after surgical treatment. These have not yet been clearly borne out by the literature. Current recommendations for operative indicators and for operative treatment include your standard open and nerve axillary compromise, but also in young patients with significant displacement of their fracture greater than 100% or shortening greater than 2 centimeters. Non-displaced or minimally displaced fractures should still be treated non-operatively. However, it's still important to take these cases on a patient-by-patient -patient basis and discuss with them their diagnosis, the risks, as well as the personal preferences and tolerances for surgery. Coming up next, an interview with Dr. Julius Bishop, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Stanford University Medical Center. Dr. Bishop completed his medical training and orthopedic residency at the Harvard University and then went on to complete a fellowship in orthopedic traumatology at Harborview Medical Center. Dr. Bishop has authored over 37 peer-reviewed articles and is active within the Orthopedic Trauma Association as well as the AO Trauma Group. We've got the pleasure of talking to him about uh, his approach towards uh, managing clavicle fractures. So, Dr. Bishop, thanks for joining us today. Um, the first question we have is just, you know, your perspective on uh, how to decide who is a good candidate for uh, operative fixation for uh, mid-shaft clavicle fractures. Well, I think we've learned from recent studies that anybody with a significantly displaced clavicle fracture, meaning one in which there's no contact uh, between fragments, uh, could at least be considered uh, for surgery. The uh, best candidates uh, are probably patients with significant displacement and foreshortening uh, as measured by droop of their shoulder and medialization of the shoulder on physical exam and shortening uh, greater than two centimeters on uh, x-ray. Uh, there is some evidence that these are the people uh, that are most likely to have uh, symptomatic uh, malunions if allowed to heal in that position. Uh, I think there's also uh, uh, good evidence to show that fixation of a clavicle fracture uh, helps with acute pain. Uh, so people who are, are really debilitated by pain and put a high value on early return to function, uh, I think also are good candidates. When you are speaking with patients about the pros and cons of uh, doing surgery, what kind of outcome measures do you uh, discuss with them in terms of, you know, if they pursue a surgical option, uh, how would that be better for them in the long term? Uh, well, I, th I think in the long term, there's evidence to show that there's, uh, of course, less risk of malunion uh, and nonunion. Uh, people tend to be happier with uh, the cosmesis of the uh, shoulder and their upper extremity uh, function um, is uh, improved. Uh, albeit in uh, somewhat subtle ways. And I know a lot of the concerns for uh, against operative uh, fixation is hardware prominence. Have you found that to be an issue in your practice? Uh, yes, uh, I think it's uh, fair to say that prominent implants are, uh, are a major issue with uh, clavicle fixation, so it's an important part of the uh, patient counseling. 
Now, for all the uh, listeners out there, uh, could you kind of run us through how you set up your OR, and what kind of table you use, the, uh, where you have the CRM positioned, uh, in order to uh, uh, optimize uh, the efficiency of uh, your OR time? Uh, I, I position the patient's uh, supine. This can either be done on a radiolucent flat top table or a conventional OR table flipped backwards so the patient's head is at the foot of the table. Uh, I do this so I can position the C-arm on the uh, contralateral uh, side and so that it can come in under the table uh, unimpeded. And I remember that important thing that uh, we had done before is making sure that the arm is always tucked uh, on the contralateral side for the ease of C-arm as well as uh, putting the donut under the head, the donut head holder, uh, to make ease for uh, uh, placing hardware. Yeah, that's true. Um, you want to make sure that the uh, contralateral arm board is not obstructing the C-arm. Uh, you want to make sure that you don't have a lot of big, uh, bulky equipment holding the head on the anesthesia end. And then if you're planning for superior plating, you also want to think about uh, turning the head and tilting away from the operative field uh, to give room for your hand and your drill. Great. Now, I know you had mentioned superior plating. You know, some people uh, uh, are, uh, let's talk about anterior plating as the preferred technique. Uh, can you speak about the pros versus cons about anterior versus superior plating? Well, I think uh, superior plating uh, is uh, probably more commonly uh, used, and uh, I think the outcomes cited in the literature are mostly from superior plating. Um, I think it's also more familiar. Um, there is some debate about which drill trajectories are safer, whether it's superior to inferior or anterior to posterior, and it probably just depends how medial or lateral you are on the, uh, uh, on the clavicle, but uh, that is also something to consider. Uh, the downsides of superior plating have been really cited as the uh, prominence uh, yeah, I don't think there's real compelling evidence, uh, at least in the literature, to suggest that one is better than the other, but people who favor anterior plating uh, feel like that is a, a less a prominent option. Uh, what do you think is the role for intramedullary uh, screw fixation or stabilization? Uh, uh, I, th I think there is a role for intramedullary stabilization. It's something where there where most of the uh, best literature, I think, is from Europe, uh, but in a length-stable pattern, so a, a transverse or very short oblique uh, pattern. Um, uh, in my opinion, there is a time when intramedullary stabilization uh, can and should be uh, considered uh, just because of the advantages of uh, less uh, implant prominence. Uh, for me, I think a length-unstable pattern, uh, I prefer, uh, uh, prefer a plate. And uh, so what would you say is your preferred uh, treatment algorithm uh, now in 2015 for the typical displaced butterfly fragment mid-shaft clavicle fracture that we typically operate on? Um, so if I'm going to treat a patient operatively, I've switched over to uh, dual uh, mini fragment plating. Uh, with the idea of uh, minimizing implant uh, prominence. I, I also find this technique to be a little bit easier. Uh, I obtain a uh, uh, appropriate reduction and then start with a uh, 2.7 millimeter uh, reconstruction plate placed uh, superiorly 
this is a very malleable plate, is uh, very low profile and quite easy to uh, contour and apply. Uh, this then holds my provisional reduction and then I place a 2.4 millimeter DCP plate anteriorly, um, which I also contour uh, myself. Um, I've found this uh, to be uh, much less prominent. Uh, there's not yet uh, uh, strong uh, published information to support this strategy, but that's, this is what I've switched to. Wait, so are you saying you're not using the pre-contoured clavicle plates? Uh, I no longer use the pre-contoured uh, clavicle plates. Uh, I think they're uh, anterior and superior. Uh, I found the profile to be uh, an issue, and a lot of patients uh, are uh, symptomatic uh, afterwards, even if the plate fits them uh, perfectly. Does that uh, does that provide sufficient stability if you don't use a pre-contoured locking plate? Uh, it's I've not had any uh, problems uh, to date. Uh, I don't have any biomechanical data to, uh, to support that, uh, but I've used uh, almost exclusively non-locking screws and non-pre-contoured plates uh, with good results thus far. Do you have any suggestions for uh, how to manage your reduction if there is significant comminution or shortening at the fracture site? Uh, I think the most challenging part of uh, clavicle fracture surgery is maintaining the reduction while applying your implant in patterns that are not amenable to lag screws or simple clamps. Uh, in this uh, circumstance, I think a, a provisional plate uh, can be uh, very helpful. Um, there's a technique article about this that's been published in the, uh, uh, in the literature, but I think that's the single most helpful technique is to use a, a 2.0 mini fragment plate and mini fragment screws um, just to hold the reduction and then you can place whatever your definitive implant is um, either over top of this mini fragment plate uh, or in a place where the mini fragment plate can be later removed. Great. And if you're looking for that technique that can be found in the American Journal of Orthopedics in 2013. Now uh, once your fixation has been completed, what do you tell patients about their post-operative protocol, what they can expect to do, and when do you let them return to activity, including sport? In uh, non-professional or recreational athlete, uh, I typically allow them unrestricted uh, shoulder motion, including active, active assisted, and passive, starting immediately. I ask them not to uh, do any heavy lifting and generally uh, advise them that their, their briefcase or morning coffee is the uh, most uh, weight uh, that they should be uh, carrying. Uh, six weeks post-surgery, uh, I allow them to return to weight-bearing as tolerated without any contact sports or uh, aggressive strengthening. And then at three months, I allow a return to uh, all activities, including aggressive strengthening and uh, contact uh, sports. Uh, I know there's some evidence that says you can allow the patients to weight bear as tolerated uh, right away. Um, uh, I would consider that in the setting of polytrauma when the patient really needed that extremity, uh, but uh, not in the setting of an isolated injury. What about things like push-ups and bicep curls? 
I think bicep curls are probably safe to start, you know, somewhere between 6 and 12 weeks. Um, I think the case is the same with the push-ups. Usually I recommend waiting 12 weeks for such strenuous activity. Okay. And, well, let's flash forward six months later. We've fixed a clavicle fracture, but now it looks like it's headed toward a non-union. What do you tell the patient, and what's your course of action at that point? Well, uh, non-union of operatively treated clavicle fracture should be exceedingly rare, so if your surgical treatment is appropriate, hopefully you won't find yourself in those uh, uh, circumstances. Uh, but I think if you have uh, come to six months and, and you have uh, loosening of your implants, ongoing symptoms, uh, or strong evidence of uh, a non-union, um, then you need to determine the cause of the non-union, being it uh, poor mechanics, poor biology, infection, or, or what have you, and address those. Uh, I think if you're going to surgically treat a non-union, the treatment would be... Uh, Exclusion of infection, a revision, open reduction, internal fixation, and, and then uh, uh, bone grafting if you deem that biology is uh, lacking. And is crest graft your preferred uh, type of uh, biologic augmentation? Uh, I think autograft is my preferred uh, uh, type of uh, augmentation. I think you can get autograft from wherever you'd like, depending on how much you need. Uh, you can get it from the olecranon, from the distal radius, from the pelvis, or from around the knee. I think all those are fine depending on the circumstances, uh, patient body habitus, and volume of graft needed. Great. And if you could provide three take-home points for our listeners about clavicle fractures, things they may not have known or things that, they would, uh, that would affect their uh, approach. I think that you should at least consider surgery in patients with clavicle fractures that are dramatically displaced and associated with uh, a droop on physical exam, any neurologic uh, type of symptoms. Um, uh, I I think that uh, acute pain is an underappreciated consideration when thinking about whether you're going to treat a clavicle fracture uh, surgically uh, or uh, not. You're talking about the resolution of acute pain in the first uh, week or two uh, following the injury? Typically in the first few days, actually, but uh, immediate uh, improvement in pain, uh, I think, is a uh, consideration. And I would include uh, associated uh, chest wall trauma with this uh, as well. Um, And then the third point would be that it's important to counsel patients both about uh, chest wall numbness and implant prominence because I think those remain the uh, major uh, limitations of plate fixation. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The Ortho Podcast, improving evidence-based orthopedics one cast at a time.